Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hey, you ever been sitting in front of your TV just wondering why you can't catch the latest episode of The Foul Front right there in your living room so you can press all your guests and family with your fine taste and podcast listening? Me neither. But hey, as a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, you can now find The Foul Front and some other great podcasts on your Apple TV, your Roku, your Amazon Fire Stick, Smart TV, even your gaming console just by downloading the Waypoint app. And heck, while you're there, they got over 2,500 hunting and fishing shows on demand. Go download the Waypoint app today. Welcome to the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast, where our goal is to recruit, educate, and inspire new hunters and to entertain the rest of you. Without the mentorship of responsible, conservation-minded hunters, this passion as we know it faces an uncertain future. So please stick around and be sure to check out our Facebook group, Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast, and like our main page at Foul Front Outdoors right after this episode. Hey buddy, what's up? Not too much. How you doing? Oh, doing pretty good. What do you think of that new intro? I like it. I like it. That, that'll that work. All right. Good. Good. So uh, we normally record in the mornings, but today we're recording in the, well, what is it? It's 8 o'clock now? Yeah. Oops. Hold on. 8 o'clock now, right? Yeah. Well, your time. <laughs> seven, seven out here. Are you... Oh, you're in, you're in Mountain? Yeah. Man, it's been a long time since I've lived in Nebraska. Wow. <laughs> I'm feeling that's, I'm feeling pretty bad about that right about now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So I got my, my new baby here. She's going to be our third co-host, kind of chilling out with us. But, uh, yeah, we tried to record this morning, but old Matt got bogged down. You didn't have any power this morning, right? Nope, we had a giant blizzard roll through yesterday and didn't get power on till I don't know noon or something. It's yeah, yeah it's been a headache. You, you texted me what time did you text me um, yesterday? Of the you were driving on your way home from work and it was you know straight up blizzard conditions and it was eighty five degrees 
um, where I where I'm at, and we're what 300 miles away from each other. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, I guess one last uh, section of banter here, since it is the evening and it is a Saturday, and we're not going to stop um, our alcohol consumption for a podcast. What are you What are you drinking? I've got me a nice Pendleton here. Um, oh yeah, ran out of Crown yesterday, so I'm I'm on the Pendleton now. Okay, nice, nice. I think I've got uh, yeah, I got Maker's Forty Six, probably about one finger deeper than I'm approved for. Um, <laughs> so hopefully we wrap this up in an hour and we don't get too silly on here. Hopefully, I'll try not to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so today's episode, uh, we're going to be talking regulations, licensing, and bird identification. I think those are the three biggest pitfalls for every new hunter. I would I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we'll just start off, I think, with the easiest one. It's licensing. Um, that is literally prescribed to you um, in your book, and you can do it at Walmart, sporting goods stores. I do most of mine online. Yep, I, I do the same. You know, you go on your uh, state websites or whatever. Um, they have it. It's it's pretty easy nowadays. To, um, I, I can only speak uh, for Nebraska, but their website's really easy to use. It's really user friendly, um, and you just it takes maybe five minutes total. Yeah, dude. I was uh, I was a little. Uh, floored I just bought my first Kansas um, hunting license this spring and it asked me if I wanted to set up for auto renew for all of my stuff so I clicked yes on all that and so I think I'm just going to be receiving an email when everything comes up and they'll just charge my um, my account so that's pretty sweet yeah, that's pretty nice. I wish Nebraska had something. And maybe they do. I guess I haven't really checked. I shouldn't badmouth them until I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You never want to badmouth the, the guys that can give you a ticket. Okay. That's anyways, true. so it's not just as simple as walking up to the counter and saying, hey, uh, I want to I wanna hunt ducks. Because a lot of times I think, especially when you go to Walmart, um, the person that's working the desk is often, you know, they're often knowledgeable, uh, but there is no, you know, prerequisites to having that job. Yeah. And it's important to know that you can definitely buy a, a hunting license without being approved to buy a hunting license. Like uh, when it comes to like hunter's education, you know? Yeah. You can yep. go buy, you know. So I guess that's a good start off point. If you're under, was it 35? I think. Uh, I'm not sure on that. I'm pretty sure it's uh, uh, pretty sure it's 35. If you're under the age of 35, you need to have a hunter's education in, in most states. I know where me and Matt are from, Nebraska. Hunter's education. I don't know. Was yours offered in junior high, like as a class? No, I had to. Uh, Ironically enough, I did mine at Walmart. They had it in like the back room at the Walmart, and you know they had the Game and Parks guy come in and do the whole thing for us, and it was like two day thing. But uh, I think it's a lot more, it's a lot quicker now, or they kind of you know 
cut her down a little bit because it it was a lot of material and it still is, but it seems when like they I, streamlined yeah. it. When I took mine, uh, I think it was a a week long thing every night when I was twelve. Um, but uh, it's definitely, I think, an important class and not something that you should just skip. Um, however, well, I will say this: that Texas offers an online hunter education. I, th- I think hmm. you, I think you have to be eighteen. But and I think it's recognized by almost every state, um, so that's definitely an option if you don't want to spend the time to do you know go through your local state one. But Texas uh, does offer an online hunter education that is, I believe, and I I could be wrong, um, definitely accepted by most states. At least uh, that's that's what I've. Learned through having many different uh, hunters, new hunters come with me. Um, they just would take the Texas one online. But there's a lot to be gleaned from the hunter's education, I think. I, I agree. It's it's a great course. Um, personally, I would I would almost make it, you know, make every school ha- teach it. Um, just because it, at the basics, it teaches you about hunting, um, teaches you gun safety, and just a bunch of other stuff, but it, it 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 really dispels some of the misconceptions people have about hunting out there. Yeah. Um, which I mean, if you're taking it nowadays, you already know that those are misconceptions. But I think for the general populace, especially in bigger city areas, it would do some good for everyone to take it and kind of you know get exposure to a new thing besides just before they form opinions about it without knowing the whole story you know knowing all the facts oh absolutely and um we do have an episode planned uh essentially ethics and being a conservationist the whole you know nine yards and everything that goes into that and why we do it and uh i think that'd be you know something good for everybody to listen to not just the hunters yeah uh, i don't need to i don't mean to take away any more of that material so i'll I'll, I'll put a pin in that and we'll move on. Uh, <laughs> I think that's something that's very close, near and dear to the hearts of every good hunter slash conservationist. Because there's there are hunters that are not conservationists. Uh, I don't want to say that every single hunter is uh, you know moral ethical shining gem uh, to the conservation world because that's just that's incorrect. But there are a lot more of us out there that are hunter conservationists than uh, than not. Yep. So, all right, back to the heart of the, uh, the 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 topic here: licensing. Literally, you can go to Walmart, Dicks, uh, where else? Um, gas stations, maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, a few I, gas stations. <laughs> out where you're at, I'm I'm sure of that. Um, yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah, when it comes to licensing, what we're talking about is you're talking about your hunting license, your waterfowl stamp. Um, oftentimes there's a, a state waterfowl stamp endorsement. Um, there's the harvest information program. And then I know, like, when I was hunting in New Mexico, I had to – and I was going to be hunting on uh, Forest Service land. You'd have to buy a U.S. Forest Service um, endorsement as well. Okay. And then um, some places, you know, they'll require you to, okay, if you're going to be um, out there hunting on BLM land, you have to have a BLM endorsement 
if you're going to be utilizing a, a quad or a, um, a UTV or anything like that, you need to have another $10 stamps. And, and all these like little $5, $10 things, don't overlook those when you're going to buy your license because some of them might be pertinent if you're going to be on CRP land, uh, right? Isn't there a CRP endorsement in Nebraska? Uh, habitat stamp. But habitat that's, stamp. That's for, I think, almost everything you have to have a habitat stamp for, seems yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's correct. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if it's like uh, public endorsed ground, you have to have like a habitat stamp. Basically, what we're saying is, is there's hunting licenses, and then there's game permits, uh, there's stamps, and then there's endorsements. And you need to make sure that you, uh, a lot of times the booklets, which they have right there at the counter, will tell you, okay, you're going to hunt deer. If you're a resident, you need to have this, 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 and that. If you're a non-resident, you need to have this, this, those, and these. So, yep, I would I would agree with all that. Um, I guess one other thing we have in Nebraska, I don't know if other states do. I'm sure they probably do. It's state park permits. So if you're hunting on mm. state land, that you know, yep. there. I mean, it's so, there's some state rec areas which obviously you can't hunt. Unless there's special regs, but there's also right. if it's state of Nebraska owned, you need it to for just for access. So yeah, exactly. So like it's the same stamp or the same um, sticker if you were going to be camping out on that land. Yep, yep. That's that's a that's a great point. Good catch, and um, it, it always helps to to just make sure you read your regulations and um, make sure you know maybe call the game or and ask, but. Um, especially when you're hunting these smaller spots, um, that you have all your, you know, your P's and Q's covered when it comes to that. Yep. Okay. Licensing. Good to go. Um, it's going to suck when you buy your first hunting licenses because they do tend to get a little expensive, but you got to remember that all goes back to conservation. Yep. It, it helps put out the habitat, helps the get, pay for the conservation officers to enforce game laws. Uh, you know, keep, Keep those people that are breaking the law, you know, punish them or, uh, you know, keep them keep them in check. It does a lot of good. So it it's kind of given back to the to nature, however you want to look at it. But it, it's that's where all that funds go. Yes, sir. All right. Should we move on to um, regulations? Yep. All right. So licensing. Got it. Regulations. These are the rules, the law of the land, the do's, the don'ts. Um, and I really break it down into three things, right place, right time, and then right animal. I like that. I like that works, works yeah, out really yeah. good. So when we're talking about the right place, um, this is basically knowing where you can and cannot hunt. Talking public, private. Um, and then like legal distance away from structures. So, um, I, I know that there's a lot of public lands that you might be able to hunt turkeys there, but you can't hunt deer there. You yeah. might be able to hunt pheasant there, but you can't hunt prairie chickens. You know what I mean? And that comes and it, down to like the species, but, um, there's a lot of different places that have different regulations uh, when it comes to the rules. 
Yeah, and, and it's not just um, hunting-wise. Like, there's ones that are just fishing only, or you can hunt, but you can't trap. Or And then there's ones that you can do everything on. Um, it, it just, there's, and Nebraska is really good. They have uh, public access guide ma- or maps, both yeah. online, and they print them out, put them out all across the state, usually Walmarts, gas stations, everywhere. And it shows you all the public land that people like farmers, they'll, you know, they'll enter this program and they'll sign up for it and they'll allow people to hunt their land and they get a little bit of money from the game and parks for allowing that open access. Um, there's also other places like ducks and limited land. Um, and then, you know, state of Nebraska, WMAs, which are wildlife management areas, stuff like that. It shows all these public areas and it breaks it down into what specific, like, you know, only spring turkey only or pheasant only or no deer or no rifle or whatever. It breaks it down, at least in Nebraska. I don't know if Kansas has something like that or something similar. Yeah, yeah, they, they do. Um, and like another really, you know, trying to shoot holes into all these basic ideas and concepts is that I know that for a fact I um, in New Mexico, I could be on public land. Um, that was designated for dove hunting. Um, and I could be following every single regulation and be in the right place at the right time, shooting at the right bird, and I could still be violating the law. And that's because I was within 100 yards of an inhabited structure. So you have to to look at these kinds of things so you might be on public land but you also might still be within 150 yards or whatever the state um designates as illegal to be um you know close to uh, uh, someone's house a farmer's house and you actually can't shoot within 150 yards of there without the written consent of that property owner things like that Yep, and I know Nebraska has a similar law to that as well. Um, I don't know exact. I'm pretty sure it covers all lands, private and public. Um, yeah, but there's inhabited structures, and then there's like public areas like campgrounds and stuff. Which right. I mean, it's just common sense, basically. I mean, you know, gun safety, yeah. know what you're shooting at. It should be common sense, which they'll address in hunter safety. Exactly, and that's the like the end all be all. Like, don't don't just skip through on those slides. Um, there's a lot to be gleaned from that hunter's education. But like I said, uh, the you know the legal distances, and then okay, Matt. So, uh, what about? I think this kind of segues into a little bit of a hunter harassment thing when we talk about legal distances. Um, I don't know what Nebraska says, but I, I know that Texas and New Mexico, it was, I think, 400 yards. You had to give um, another hunting party that was there before you, you have to give them the wide berth of 400 yards. I I honestly don't know if Nebraska has one of that. Okay. And I know, like, I've seen it on Facebook groups and stuff. That is something that really irritates a lot of waterfowlers that, you know, you'll be set up, you'll be out there way early, and then here's 15 minutes before shooting light or right at shooting light. Here comes these these guys that decided, you know, they, they were going to sleep in an extra half hour or whatever, and 
they're going to set up a hundred yards away from you because you took their spot or something. Yeah. Yeah. That causes a lot of issues. You know how I fix that? How so? I just invite them to come on over and have a good time with them. Yeah. I mean, that, that's (laughs) the best way to do it is you'd be reasonable, but yeah, if they're going to, if they're going to set up on you, well, one, they might just be jerks. So that might not work. Um, but oftentimes I think it's one of those things where it's ignorance that plays a big part of it. Um, yeah. But we talked a little bit. I think I've talked about that multiple times on Tales and Tips, which I got to get you on for an episode of Tales and Tips here shortly. Yeah, I'd like that. Yeah. All right. I think we've hit the right place up pretty, pretty good. Um, let's talk about the, you know, the right time. Um, I know when it comes to waterfowl, 30 minutes before uh, legal sunrise. Yep. Yep. Now, here's what here's one thing that gets, I think, trips up a lot of people is they say, okay, 30 minutes before sunrise. And then uh, what are they using for sunrise? Um, I think it's just, oh, I can't remember the technical term for it right now, but um like i just when i go out you know half hour before sunrise i go off the national weather service what they say that sunrise is for that day right um Um, i know some states do say hey refer to um whatever but a lot of states publish the like hey on december 10th the sunrise is 7 10 a.m yeah and they say asterisk there they say this is for oklahoma city Subtract one minute for every 15.3 miles east of Oklahoma City. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you have to do the math yourself. And so if you just go off that chart or if you just go off of what Verizon says sunrise time is, um, you can you can get caught up. Um, I mean I don't think that a reasonable game warden might not say something to you. But I know in public areas that – have a lot of hunting pressure and everybody's waiting around till that exact moment. You always hear the, the two hunting parties that shoot early and then you hear everybody else pick up later. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. And, uh, I think that those guys that shoot early, I, uh, I've definitely, you hear the boom, ba boom, boom, boom. And then all of a sudden from the boat ramp, you hear, and I'm pretty sure that's a game wardens. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, multiple times I've 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 heard that same scenario go down, and I always wondered if if uh, they were going to get in trouble or not. But um, I I always know that like I always do the math. I know that I'm like okay, I'm 32 miles away from whatever the they said there on the in the little you know booklet. Add two minutes. Add one minute for buffer time, like to be safe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. So. And I guess um, since we're not just talking Nebraska, Kansas, it sh- we should note about right time. Um, there are some states where they don't let you hunt on certain days. Like somewhere, I can't remember where, but it was on the East Coast, and they don't let you hunt on Sundays or something. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Okay. And I yeah. thought it was – I think North Carolina just changed that. I think they were one of them too, and they updated it this last year or something. Um wow. Yeah, so there, there's a couple of states that do that, um, and then there's other states that also um, they they 
don't let you hunt in the afternoon. You know, they let the birds rest after the morning hunt. Yep. Um, uh, I know that a lot of like WMAs do that. Um, they restrict it, you know, uh, 1 PM. You can't be hunting anymore and like, or you can't hunt afternoon and then you have to be off the water by 1 PM. Yeah. Or, and they, or something like that. And that's not just waterfowl. I mean, there's things like that about pheasants and a whole bunch of stuff. Mm, sure. Um, you know, they, you can't hunt whatever you can hunt this, you can hunt pheasants here. You can hunt ducks here at this time. Well, you know that you can't hunt them at this time at this place. So it just goes back to you know knowing knowing your regulations. Uh, yeah. Check in everywhere where you're hunting. Check specifically for that area because even like you said, areas can be different than the whole state or the rest of the state. Well, yeah, and then like you talk about specific like um, I, I think, and I don't want to talk out talk out of my butt here, but. Um, like the there's a place in Oklahoma called Drummond Flats. They're like these special like uh, waterfowl habitat areas, and they'll say, okay, you can hunt it on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Like it's not even a oh you can only hunt this on the weekends, the weekdays. It literally turns off for certain times of the the week. Huh. Yeah. Now that is interesting. Yep. So. But in addition to having certain days and certain times, there's also like a certain season. So, you know, each species has a season like waterfowl, deer, pheasant, all that. Uh, the game and parks, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, all those federal and uh, state agencies come up, work together, and they set season dates based on, you know, uh, times that aren't going to be detrimental to the species in terms of breeding or uh, or survive, you know, you don't be too hard on them on survivability points. Um, and right. I'm talking more reference in waterfowl, I guess, because, uh, you know, like Nebraska, we hunt rifle, you know, yeah. deer hunt with rifles during bre- peak Dur- breeding. Right during the, yeah, right <laughs> yeah. during the rut. Yeah. But for yeah. waterfowl, like they cut them off, you know, January, February, and then they'll breed in the springtime and have their babies. As always, this episode is brought to you in part by High Prairie Sportsmen, a group of conservation-minded outdoorsmen and women who have a lot of great content over on YouTube. Just go search for High Prairie Sportsmen over there and you'll be entertained for hours, and you might even learn something. They're very close friends of the show, and without them, uh, a lot of this stuff wouldn't be possible. Okay, back to the show. Yeah, all right, so, you know, we were talking about... uh the different times. And I think maybe just a good wrap up on that would be to talk about, you know, their special seasons such as teal season and, and like resident goose season and things like that as well. Yep. Um, you know, those, the resident goose season is more of a population control measure. You know, they cause a lot of problems, airports, golf courses, etc. Whereas the teal season is, it's mainly blue wing teal. They migrate a lot earlier. So many hunters, by the time regular duck season starts, they want to get the chance to go after them. So that's kind of what, why they have that is just the chance, opportunity to go after another species. And um, they're they're pretty fun to hunt too. They're 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 a blast. I love teal hunting. So uh, I think that wraps that up. Yeah, yeah. Well, should we move on to uh, the real reason I know you're on this podcast for bird identification? Let's do it. All right. I'm going to let you take lead then. Go ahead. 
All right. So, um, you know, the main thing I hear a lot of people say, or you'll hear a lot of the old timers say is know what you're shooting. And, and that's not just, I guess they'll tell you that in hunter, hunter education as well, but that is not just, uh, for duck hunting. That is for everything. That's deer hunting, cow hunting, anything, any kind of hunting you're shooting at it, know your target. And yes, I know there's a whole bunch of different kinds of ducks. Um, and you know, you're hunting, if you're hunting in the morning or even late at night or well, not night, but you know, sunset, you know, it gets dark, this low light, you're not gonna maybe be able to identify them as easily as if, you know, you were hunting at noon and they all just came cupped right into your face and la- or landed on the water even. Yeah. Um, so there are little tips and tricks that you can pick up and just stuff to look for. And that differs from species to species. I guess the first one we could talk about is size. Um, so ducks come in all shapes and sizes. The mallard is one of the biggest ducks that you'll see, at least in North America. That's all I'm going to speak about because that's all I really know. Um, there's also the canvasback. It's about the similar size as the mallard. Those are about the two largest ducks you're going to see. Yeah. Uh, whereas on the other side of the spectrum, you have the green wing tail, blue wing tail. Those are the small ones. Bufflehead yeah. are in there too. Um, now, bufflehead, those are, I don't know if you're like ever familiar with like Harry Potter, but those are like the golden like snitches. Like they're super tiny. Like <laughs> they're like the size of baseballs. And it feels like that's what you're shooting at when you're shooting at a bufflehead is a, a freaking baseball being pitched by Nolan Ryan skipping across the water. Yeah, you got to get on them when they're when they're coming at you. They don't readily <laughs> decoy either. They'll either swim in your decoys or they'll buzz you. And you got to be on them, or they're gonna fly. You're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna get them. No, no. Uh, All right, sorry. Back to size. Back to size. Yeah. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up size. Uh, really. Yeah, and I'll say this too: uh, some bull sprigs like pintails. Those are those are some big ducks too. Um, at least the ones I was shooting in central Oklahoma. Um, uh, there wasn't a, uh, I, I was, this was the first time I've ever, ever shot a pintail and I was absolutely astounded by, it was mostly the, the length, um, uh, especially with that, that they're very bowling pin, like, uh, their head really sticks all the way out there with that long neck, but yeah. So yeah. that's actually a, that's another good point. Um, that's another thing to look for when you're, ident- when you're identifying these birds on the fly is, Certain ducks, you know, they'll have, I mean, they all have distinguishing characteristics, but you're not going to really notice them unless you have them up close, if, like, if they're sitting on the water or after you bag them. But there are some that you can tell. So, like Ben was just saying, you know, you got the long neck of the pintail. Um, it'll have the, if it's a male, it, usually they'll have the long sprig if they're plumed out late season. Yeah. Um, the sprig, that's their that's their big old uh, the, their tail feather. Yeah, their tail, yeah, sorry, yeah. Um, and then there's other ducks like, you know, I meant, just mentioned the cams back they have more of a triangular bill. So you can kind of tell from that, um, they have a large bill. It looks, it, it's a really big bill. It's really hard to misidentify cams back. I, yeah. I think, I think of it like this, like it kind of looks like a bump on the front of their bill where most ducks, you know, you kind of see it's the regular duck shaped bill kind of thing. But then like canvas back, there's always that weird, like they've got like a weird bump, like between their their face and their bill i don't know yeah but it yeah like a regular duck bill you know it kind of curves the canvas back bill is just kind of straight really yeah. um 
And then I guess speaking of another duck that has a unique bill would be the shoveler. And that oh. it, <laughs> spoonbill, I mean, that's that's one of their names they're known as. So it's pretty uh, – it kind of like comes out and then it it looks like a spoon basically. And that's – I mean, that they use that for feeding purposes, but that's another thing to identify them as. Um, as far as like – I guess I could go into more distinctive characteristics – what? I think we'll hit them in in the individual species. I think that'll be okay. Um, yeah, I guess we can move on to color then. Or uh, did you want to hit flight patterns first? Oh yeah, sorry. Um, no, yeah, so- it's good. I, I got you. I jumped the gun on one thing. That's my bad. So. That's all right. Yeah. So I don't have much to say about flight patterns. I mean, it's kind of hard to describe them unless you just know. Like it's it's just an experience thing, really. I mean, you can study them, you can watch videos, and you'll get some idea. But until you're out there, you know, experiencing, watching mm-hmm. all these flocks of different birds, you're not gonna like. It's hard to tell, really. But I guess yeah. I think the, the two most distinctive flight patterns that I can think of um, is well, teal. You know, they're just yeah. they come in. They're little fighter pilots. They just they can maneuver around like it's nothing. They just drop in. They cut. They it's crazy. And then uh, the only other, like real distinctive flight pattern that I can really think of is uh, is pintails because they'll just you know circle about six hundred yards above me and look at my decoys all day and then fly away. That's you know. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know like like I mentioned with the buffle head, the divers they um, are a lot harder to commit to decoys usually, um, at least in the middle of Nebraska, maybe probably Kansas too, unless you're hunting really big water. Uh, but that, I guess that's not really a flight pattern. That's kind of a, in, uh, a specific species, you know, kind of thing or type of duck. A characteristic. Characteristic, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, like you said, you know, the teal have an erratic flight pattern. That is the most notable one I would come up with as well. Um, you know, that's big, big ball of teal is what we call them, and then they'll just dive bomb into your decoys. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But moving on, we'll go into color. So – Every duck is a different color. It's basically, you know, well, I guess I should rephrase that. Mo- every drake duck is a different color. All the hen ducks are very similar, at least depending on if they're dabbler or diver. But the uh, like, like uh, all the dabbler ducks, they're usually brown. Uh, speaking hen henwise here, they're brown, and that you know it's to camouflage them when they're nesting. Yeah. Got to blend in. So yeah, but. The drake, and you're not going to, I mean, you can tell a little bit about those, but usually they're with drakes in the fall, and the drakes at least have a little bit of color. So you should, you know, look for color if it's light enough, and that'll help you. So obviously the main obvious one, what do you think, Ben? Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty obvious. And then it's just, it's important to know that early on in the season, um, the plumage, which is basically, um, where their molt phase is, you know, cause we know birds, they, they're growing and changing feathers all the time. The farther along, uh, in the season you get, the prettier the drakes become because they're getting closer to mating season. And then, you know, they're trying to look good, trying to primp and preen and, and get real pretty for the women. But, um, the, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, even though there are distinctive, um, obviously, obviously there are distinctive color patterns, um, for the for the hens, they are most of the time uh, a little bit more camouflaged, a little bit uh, duller, a little bit more drab. 
but one way you can tell species of hen apart besides size and other distinctive characteristics would be the speculum. And if you don't know what the speculum is, it's the weather, it's the it's the feathers on the wing that are colored. So like mallards have a blue speculum and I'll go I'll go into this more on the uh, each de- you know each individual yeah. duck, yeah. but it it's just uh, like a color patch on a duck's wing. Um, yeah, yeah that, they're, that, that, that's they're generally very. It's very visible um, if you're looking for it. You know, the first thing that I look for on a duck is its head, and then I look to, and you know, I try to check its its back wing out. You know what I mean to see what colors I can identify. But yeah, you're right. We'll talk about uh, some of those in the specific uh, species. Yep. So now you you know you're hunting low light conditions. Um. How, how else can you identify these birds if you can't see the color? You might not even be able to see the shape. In some cases, you know, if it's really cloudy day and it's it says right. it's shooting light and you got birds buzzing around you, how, what's another way you can tell? Um, that would be sound. Like, you know, each duck has an individual – well, each all the drakes have individual different calls. The hens kind of vary a little bit, but they all make that raspy quack noise that everyone associates with a duck. Right, and I always I found that very interesting the first time I learned that that I thought all ducks quacked, but uh, that's not necessarily true. Nope. Uh, like teal, they'll make a little peak noise. It's really easy, and I wish I had my teal whistle here oh, with me. Hey, I hold on, do... I am like ten feet away from my gun cabinet. Stand by. All right, yeah, we'll have Ben Ben uh, do some do some calling for us. And I think that we will at some point down the road have like a trainer video for learning how to call, but uh, we will incorporate that. <laughs> and I just put my um, I just put my call uh, lanyard on and realized that I don't have a teal whistle on here because I gave it to one of the guys that I was hunting. But it does sound <laughs> a little bit like <laughs> like things like you know it is literally a whistle. Yeah, and. I'm, I'll pick the, I'll pick up my my recording device here and I'll try to find one real quick if bear with me. Yeah, perfect. I, yeah, I think I know where it is, so I can do a couple of these. And granted, you know, it's still it's the off season, so I'm probably a little rusty. So don't don't judge me too harshly. <laughs> okay, I I won't. All right, I I promise you that. All right, all right, here we go. So. This is what like a teal kind of a teal sound sounds like, just a, yeah, just you know a little peep. Um, pintail is really distinctive, and it's it's just kind of like, um, those those are about the only two I can really do. But oh, I guess uh, Drake Mallard would be. Oh, oh, hold on, I got this one. I can do this with my mouth. All right, let's hear it. Oh, yeah. Pretty close. Yeah, so the, there's a, there's all, all, you know, all kinds of different whistles and noises and whatever all these ducks make. And you just kind of, you know, you got to associate with them. And it's not just what they call. When they fly, certain ducks have uh, – it kind of it sounds different, and I'll yeah, break that. I'll talk more about that okay. in the individual species. But 
Um, yeah, they it it you can tell by flight, you know how they what the sound they make when they fly and what they call. So that's another thing. Yeah, their their wings literally whistle or like rip the air or yeah. Yeah, exactly. So okay. Now on. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good, man. Go ahead. Uh, online trainers and videos. Did you want to talk about yeah. that? Then? Okay. So when it comes to like bird identification, Ducks Unlimited um, and then Delta Waterfowl and Webfoot University have awesome uh, tools to help you. Uh, that basically it'll show you a three second video clip or a five second video clip. You can edit the settings to which you get tested on, and then it will ask you, "Hey." multiple choice what was this bird and you go through and they have tons of videos on there so you can really like learn um how to identify birds on the internet it, it's ridiculous sounds like a fun like something just fun thing to do even in the off season just you know bone up on your duck id yeah and that's that's a good caveat too because matt i don't know about you but um every time teal season rolls around I always, always let that first group of teal land in my spread and confirm. Okay, yep, I'm on it. I got it. Those are teal. <laughs> and then, uh, then we shoot them. Uh, just one of those things because you know there's teal and wood ducks. They're so similar, and um, I just have to do like a little confirmation for myself. And yeah, and and we get them shovelers out here quite a bit too during that time. Oh. So they have the same speculum as the teal. They're just a little bigger, yeah. but. You got to watch that. You yeah, if you haven't seen that. a bird in eight months, you know, like, yeah, you might be. Yeah, that's that would not be good. You know, <laughs> that's a that's pretty good fine right there for a shoveler. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, I already don't like shooting shovelers all that much, and I, I definitely don't want to pay for one. You know, so <laughs> yeah. So, I guess let's uh, let's move into individual birds. Give a give a little bit of talk about each you know each one of them. Um, I guess I, I'll or I'll start it off if that's all right with you, Ben. Yeah, go ahead. All right, so you know we mentioned this bird quite a bit. It's we're gonna just talk teal. So there's three species that you're more more likely to see. I mean, they're they're the three main species of teal in North America that you're gonna see. Um, you got the blue wing teal, the green wing teal, and the cinnamon teal. And the cinnamon teal, it's more of a west coast duck, kind of a desert. It maybe western edge of Nebraska to California area is the general range of the uh, cinnamon teal. And the name of it's named because uh, it's it's cinnamon. It, it, it's cinnamon colored. The drake is cinnamon colored. If you don't, if you haven't seen one of these, they're a very beautiful duck. Ben has actually been lucky enough to shoot one of these. It is I a gorgeous two. two. Yeah. Now you just make me feel bad today. <laughs> <laughs> I made Tony White feel bad too. Uh, in fact, <laughs> if you ever go into Tony's workshop and you see a cinnamon teal there, he didn't shoot it. I, that's how I paid for one of my taxidermies. I gave him. I gave him that cinnamon teal. But now I think Tony did actually shoot a couple cinnies uh, down in Texas. I think he had to pay for them though. So. Yeah, they, they are a gorgeous bird, and that's one on my ducket list. But, oh, <laughs> well. I've never heard that. That's good. That's going in my, uh, I just wrote that down, ducket list. All right. Ducket list, yep. That's that's high prairie sportsman trademarked or whatever you want to say. 
Okay, got it. High Prairie Sportsman, duck it. Uh, um, I'm tell- hey, if we go down to that place I was telling you about in New Mexico, we can we definitely have a better shot at them. So. I would love that. That would be awesome. But okay. I guess cinnamon teal, not that common. Should we yep. move on? Yep, we're going to move on from the cinnamon teal. We're going to talk about now blue wing teal. Um, going back to their speculum, they have a two colored, and it's not really just their speculum. Their speculum itself is like a greenish color, um, almost an olive green, I would call it. And then yeah. above it, they have they have little feathers that are blue in color, and that's where they get their name, blue wing teal. But and it is it's baby blue, like yeah, it's yeah, it it's it's a really cool it's really cool color, um, and they're really cool birds. The drakes themselves are really beautiful as well when they're fully plumed. And but, a nice white cheek patch. But yeah, you won't see that until the end of the season, and if you live way down south. Yep, yep. So. You'll see them in the spring. Like there's a bunch of them around right now. Can't shoot them. They would be gorgeous. You know, put one on the wall, but. Hopefully sometime, you know, maybe I'll find one when I go down and send them in teal hunt sometime. Um, I don't know. And then finally, you got the green wing teal. And the green wing teal has a green speculum as well, and it would be what I would call emerald. I don't. Would you agree with that, Ben? Kind of a. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not a colorologist, but emerald <laughs> sounds great. Yeah. Green. And the, and they have a beautiful cinnamon head with a big old green blotch or stripe or whatever you want to call it yeah and they're they're actually the smallest duck in north america and it might be the world but i know for north even even smaller than bufflehead i believe so yeah wow okay i'll tell you what green wing teal are my favorite they're my favorite ducks first duck i ever shot was a green wing teal um and then their heads that kind of that how well you're the colorologist what What'd you call that color? Cinnamon that chestnut and cinnamon. Yeah, chestnut. That'd be a good. Yeah, that chestnut head that they have with that green running up on it. It's there's nothing like uh, in my mind. They're like everybody says. You know, uh, mallards. They're the king of green. Well, you know, green winged teal. They're the prince. They're the prince of green for me, man. They're like I love shooting them. It's not as much meat off of them. They taste really good. I would say that that's pretty uh, common of all teal, that they are probably the best table fare. Uh, I would agree, yep. Yeah, I, I don't know why that is. But um, they are, they're fun to shoot because they're so <laughs> agile. And, uh, yeah, I love them. Yeah. So I guess uh, we spent enough time on teal. Uh, we'll yeah. move on. We'll move on to widgeon. Um, so if you've heard about these, People might also refer to them as bald pate. That's because the male has a whitish head. It has like little black specks on it and has the green stripe similar to the green wing teal. has a blue bill, so that's another thing. You, you know, bills are color, different in color as well, um, and that can help you when you get into hybrids and all kinds of – there's a bunch of other stuff we could – a bunch of tangents we could go off on, but we're going to stick oh, to that. All day. All day we could. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it's I think it's uh, important to note for um, widgeon, and I've shot a lot of widgeon all the way from New Mexico uh, up into Oklahoma here, um, and then even in Kansas. The, the thing that sticks out like a sore thumb is that on the drakes, that white head. Yep. Um, it, it really pops out to you. You, you see that when you're just – scanning for the ducks you know you'll see those like it almost looks like a thumbprint on the top of their head that's just you know white yep and 
if you are lucky enough to see a Storm Widgeon, which is still an American Widgeon, but it's just like a color phase, it mm-hmm. doesn't have the black specks. It's like all white or like a creamish color, and they are gorgeous. Like, yeah. Tony got one of those a couple of years ago. I think it's important to note that all these birds um, have like some variation of it that everybody like, oh, this is the like ideal, you know, version of it. So like you talk about like a, there's a storm widgeon, like that's, that sounds silly, um, but it's because like all of their white feathers are completely white. There's no black to them. Um, and, and it's kind of like trophy hunting for uh, for ducks. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you hit the, hit the nail on the head right there. So, uh, moving on from Widgeon, I mean, we, I think we said about all we can, uh, well, I think there's one more, there's one more thing to be said. Can you give me a Widgeon call real quick on your whistle? Uh, I cannot. I'll try it. I'll see. We'll give her a go. Just Chicago, Chicago. Close? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's pretty close. Um, at least I found so. Like, uh, you probably don't call to a lot of widgeon because do you see that much up in Nebraska? Yeah, we get a lot of them uh, in the Sand Hills, especially. There's a lot, and then late season they'll be around here too for some reason yeah. we don't know. But yeah, well, if you just say Chicago into the uh, into your whistle, like Chicago, like <laughs> that's that's generally that's like, the old widgeon call. That's a good tip. I didn't know that. I'll use that. I have to use that. Don't um, know. So moving moving on, we'll go into yep. Gadwall, which these ducks are not I mean, the hen looks about as plain as a duck as you can see. It's just brown and has I don't even know what the speculum is like chestnut with black and a little bit of white. It's kind yeah. of a multi color. I mean they, they call they call them gray ducks, you know. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think they are the only – correct me if I'm wrong. They're the only dabbling duck that has a white speculum. And I know that any time that I see you know white on the back of a uh, uh, dabbling duck midair that, that we're shooting at, at Gadwall. Yeah, no, I thinking about it, yeah, that they would be. They would be the only dabbling duck at least that we regularly see out here. With yeah. a white spectrum. Yeah. Um, the, the drakes can look beautiful if you get one late season. They're, they're a little darker than the hens. Kind of a dark gray. Their head will sometimes get a little purple iridescence. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, that's the the thing. We, we shot actually a ton of gadwall. I don't know if you remember the videos. But we, we shot a ton of gadwall um, on that farm pond um, in Oklahoma this year. And... Uh, you know Tony White with the trophy hunting for for ducks for him. Uh, every gadwall I shot, I had to send a, a picture to Tony, and he'd say yes, no, yes, no. Oh, send me that one. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and he was always looking for that almost that, that purple brown head. Yep. So. Yep. That's and you'll get those late season that you know the those breeding colors. Um, well, you know they they call that iridescence. Um, where it's like, I don't know if you're familiar with the color purple on like cars. I'm not. Okay, have you ever seen like the blue purple cars? Like that, like you can't tell if it's blue or if it's purple. Yeah. Yep. All right. 
So it's like that's called iridescence, and it's like the same thing. It's the way that the UV light reflects off of the ah, – dude, I'm not a biologist, but like the triangular pattern of the follicles of the duck's wings or something like that. But uh, that's why – you know how like uh, a green head's green head will look like purple sometimes as well? Yeah, and it's yeah. actually Mallard's the next duck, so I'm glad you brought that up. But, yeah, um, the Mallard is probably the most common duck. You know, when you say duck hunting, ducks, people are probably going to think Mallard just because they're, they're, that, they're that common. They're all, everywhere. I mean, heck, there's one that that's a popular meme even. So Yeah. Um, what is it but, bad, bad Advice Mallard or something like that? <laughs> yeah, Bad Advice Mallard. So... <laughs> You know, the male's green head, yellow bill, white collar, nice brown chestnut breast, gray gray body, big old bright iridescent blue speculum, and then has the curls. The mallards have the curls. That's, you know, a lot of people save those curls and stuff. That's another thing to look for. Um, and then they'll have the big bright red feet when it's, when, you know, you, you get the migrating mallards from Canada or whatever. They uh, they just stick out there, but the mallard's like the main duck. Everyone shoots, you know that that's what they want to. I mean, not everyone wants to shoot a mallard, I guess. But that I when do. you yeah, well yeah <laughs> when you think it's duck hunting, yeah. I mean, they're the biggest duck. You get the most meat off of them. They're really fun. They it's really fun to just get a big old group of mallards coming in. And um, when you think of cold weather duck hunting or just duck hunting in general, you're gonna think mallard more than likely. Um, it's pretty common. It's the most common duck I would say in North America. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, at least that's what the, um, statistics and the population, um, censuses show, yeah. but every year I only end up to shoot about, you know, four or five of them. So, <laughs> so moving from the most common to one of the, I don't know if I would call it rare. Um, I know you had a bunch of them this year, Ben, uh, yeah. pintails. And these, I, I've shot maybe four my entire life. They are beautiful. The drakes, when they're fully plumed, nice blue bill, a little bit of black on it, dark brown. I don't know what color I'd call that, but a dark brown head with a little white stripe going in it and then big old bright white belly. And they have green speculums on their wings and they'll get the long tail feathers that are called pins or uh, sprigs, stuff like that. But the, yeah, I oh, got I got about and those are you should you know if you shoot one of those and you don't get it uh, taxidermy take that take that sprig out and put it in your truck you know yeah and as a, un- as a little mini trophy unfortunately I haven't been able to get one that has been taxidermy quality but they are they, I just love them they're just really cool birds just their necks are really long and stuff they they're just really cool to watch. Um, and you see them all the time when you're snow goose hunting or in the spring. But oh, absolutely. In absolutely. the fall. And you know. they, they decoy so unreadily, too. That's the thing is, is they will give you six to seven passes. And if you're not on your game, like, you're not getting them in. Yeah. Yeah. The and, only days that we really had success, um, and I, I didn't realize this until I went back and looked at the videos, um, but the only days that we had success on pintails was on days where we had 20 plus mile an hour winds. And I think they were literally just trying to get out of the wind and found our open, you know, uh, water 
and that they came in. You know, it. it I think they're probably the hardest bird, at least dabbler bird, uh, to hunt or to to get it to come in. So well, yeah, because I mean they're they're fairly rare. Actually, last year you could only by mandate of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service or whoever sets the the federal date or federal uh, bag limits. You could only shoot one a day per person. Yeah, and yep. they changed that this year to two. They knocked it back up to two, but you can only get yep. two a day per person now. Um, well, that, that's good. At least, um, well, that's good to hear, because um, I know that there's there's a lot of different um, talk on whether or not harvest limits actually benefit uh, species populations. But that's a whole different episode, and I'm sorry for bringing that up. <laughs> So we'll move from the pintail into the shoveler, as we mentioned, you know, also called the spoonbill because it uses its bill to, like, filter. That's kind of how it feeds. It filters through the muck and stuff. A lot of duck hunters look down on them. They'll, you know, they call them, you know, they don't they don't want to shoot shovelers. Um, yeah, I think they call them smiling mallards or hollywoods. Yeah. And then I yeah, think a, a lot of that comes from is, have you ever ate a shoveler bat? I I have. I, I, you know, I figure, I find that if you prepare them right, they don't taste any different than any other duck. I'm sure I'll probably get some feedback on that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I make sure that I put them in with the divers and we make chili and um, some, some heavy, heavily seasoned um, table fare, at least at my house, because not everybody at my house appreciates wild game, so. I, I just, you know, throw them – I'll make a bunch of uh, duck sausage at the end of the year so they get mixed in with everything else and you can't really tell the difference at the end. So Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> Going on, we're uh, on to wood ducks. Or I guess we could talk a little – we haven't even really described them, the shovelers. Sorry about that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so they have a similar speculum and wing pattern as the blue-winged teal, which is why it's very important to watch that in early teal season, if you have one of those in your state, they have the light blue, the baby blue uh, top part on their wing, and then they have the green speculum as well. Um, the drakes, when they're fully plumed, they'll have the dark. It's like kind of like a mallard, but a little darker, more of a forest green, I would call it, uh, head with a bright white chest and then some brown, cinnamon, almost cinnamon-colored uh feathers as well towards the back yeah, you know, and I, on the and body. I think the the older that they get to um the whiter overall uh like literally I, I shot a shoveler two seasons ago and it had so much white on it it looked like a like a snow shoveler almost huh and i think the 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 game warden at least told me that the the later on in life that they get uh, they lose their iridescence. They lose that, you know, color um, pigmentation, and they turn white. Hmm. I hadn't heard that, but that's interesting. Yeah. Yep. Well, I guess we'll uh, move on to wood ducks. Okay. Um, so this is one of my favorite ducks. They are gorgeous. They have almost every color you can imagine on them, at least the drakes do. The hens, you know, once again, they're that – drab color or brown they have a dark blue speculum that kind of fades into black it's it's a lot darker than the mallard speculum it's actually really cool 
just the speculum from a speculum standpoint the color is really cool but the drakes the drakes are gorgeous and if you haven't seen a wood duck go look it up you know google what a wood duck drake looks like they are they got they got kind of pointy beaks right yeah not so much bill than beak yeah, and that kind of does with uh, what they what they eat. They eat like nuts and stuff, I believe. Rather, and they'll eat some more other stuff too. But uh, you know, like the other dabblers, they eat more corn and grain and invertebrates and all that stuff. Right. They eat and a little. They literally bit. they they nest in trees and and uh, duck boxes. Yeah. But, yep. Um, and then I think the a main takeaway on the woodies is their feet. They're like gray with like black lines in them, right? I've only literally shot two wood ducks in my entire life. Yeah, um, it, it, it's almost weird. Like they can vary; they'll either be gray or sometimes you'll get like a light yellow with mm. mixed with gray. I guess I'm not, you know, really? I'm not a colorologist either. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I've shot a few that have been kind of yellowish too. So okay. I don't know how, why that is. It just kind of varies between species, maybe or, or not species uh, specimens. But, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to know the answer to that. Well, cool but, beans. We'll have to come back on that one. I'm, I'm going to wrote yeah. a question mark on that. But um, should we move on to the – well, I, I have it listed here as modeled black and Mexican, which is like they're all variants of the mallard, I believe. Well, I want to say variants. They're relatives, but they're not in the same species. They're closely related. Um, yeah, I've shot a lot of Mexican ducks uh, down on the Rio Grande, and uh, there was a, always a wildlife biologist that was uh, down there. And I, at first, I thought they were modeled ducks because when I was comparing them to the you know the charts and stuff, I mean, there's not a lot of uh, you know, I don't think Mexican uh, ducks are very like popular, or a lot of people would really you know know how to identify one. But they yeah. look a lot like a mottled duck. And they're – I mean they all look fairly similar. They're And they're not colorful at all really. Um, it's almost like they're different color phases of each other. Uh, you know, the black's a lot darker. Uh, I'm not, I haven't shot Mexican or mottled or even a black duck. Um, so I'd, I don't have too much experience with those. I've seen black ducks. Um and I know you can tell difference between like a black duck and maybe a model duck or whatever because of the white stripe above their speculum or something like the width or something like that. Um, that's about all I know how you can identify different ones or if they're even hybridized with mallards. Right, right. Well, should we move on to the divers real quick? Yeah, yeah. We'll 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 knock these divers out here. So. Uh, I mentioned bufflehead. This is a very cool little bird, and when I say little, I emphasize little. It is a small bird. They fly really fast, um, and they will embarrass you if you try to. If you're not on them, you'll be shooting yeah. behind them almost every day. Uh, but no, they're they're big, bright white belly, black wings, and uh, like a. They get they get the name bufflehead because their head is kind of. I, what am I looking for here, Ben? It's kind of built up. They get it from the name yeah, buffalo. It, like, it's, it's got like the okay. The front part of it is bigger than the back part of it. Yeah, it's right? kind of like a hump or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's got and I'm 
and he's not kidding you when he says small. Like I literally think these things, like the the chest of them, the main center mass of it is like the size of a baseball. Yeah, they're they're a tiny bird, but they're really yeah. pretty too. They have that iridescence in their head, and they're mm. they're really it's cool. Like a black purple almost. Yeah, they're uh, they're they're really cool birds. Um, I've only seen one taken in the field, and um, it was a very interesting. You know, everybody like popped up, tried to shoot at it because it, it snuck in on us, and uh, I think I shot first. I shot you know to the right of it, and it started uh, you know going to the left and then every person that shot at it just kind of the way it angled the shot would be behind him but it would kick out in front of him and so it kind of corralled him all the way back into us and i don't know if you saw that video it's it's on that video that i sent you the one that you ended up putting as like uh team pipe hitters uh the one that has the blow up of where it like skips across the water after it comes back around oh yeah yep that was a buff so yeah, we, we had pretty good luck with them this year. I got my first one ever. I mean, I've shot hens, but I've got my first drake, and so that's another taxidermist bill waiting in the freezer. <laughs> oh, you send that one over to White's Waterfowl Artistry, or are you using someone else? I would. He's actually closed for business now because of the move. Yeah, I know. I had to I had to move my business elsewhere. I actually bought one of his airbrushes off of him. So, Well, I might have to... Uh, hit up pages waterfowl artistry or <laughs> oh no 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 i only do decoys my friend i only do decoys oh okay so. okay <laughs> <laughs> i i actually tried to taxidermy a um and we'll talk about this here in a second i tried to taxidermy the first one i ever tried to like um de-glove or whatever you skin it out was a ring neck okay and that was stupid for <laughs> obvious reasons yeah um, well, actually, maybe not obvious reasons, but we'll get to that here in a second. So, so I guess no, we can we can talk about that. So, with the I guess the main difference between the divers and dabblers, or I guess we, I could cover a little bit of the differences between both of them. Um, sure. The divers, their speculums are less colorful. They're usually all silver, white, something like that variation. Whereas the dabblers, you know, as we already mentioned, those are more colorful. The Drakes on the dive on the divers have more of a white main body, whereas the dabblers can vary. It can change a bunch of different colors. Um, the, the dabbler or the yeah the dabblers seem to be more colorful. The divers are less colorful. Um, divers have their feet set further back on their body, whereas the dabblers are more in the middle. That is to facilitate the divers so they can dive down and get you know what what they need to eat. Um, it's more paddling wise and then their wings are a little different too. I won't, we won't, I mean, we're not going to get too scientific with this. Um, but that, that's kind of a general, a general rundown between divers and dabblers. And the main one you'll find out when you get both divers and dabblers on the skinning table, dabblers skin a heck of a lot easier than divers do. And that is what Ben was referencing when he was yeah, talking about. Necks, I neck. swear they have, I mean, they can take it. They have Kevlar feathers and chainmail skin, man. So there, they yeah. We've shot a lot of ringnecks this year, and that that was yeah. That took a lot of time to skin those. Yeah, one of my one of the new guys I took out this year. His name's Max, and I'll have him on for a tales and tips. But um, we were shooting tons of ringnecks at this that little pond, and we always made him clean all the ringnecks. 
and we you know we kept the the teal and the the mallards and the um the widgeon to ourselves and so he thought that you know we were just these really you know badass uh you know guys that could skin duck super fast and uh he he was taking forever and he we'd literally be all inside watching the videos drinking a beer and he'd be like three ducks in and oh man he would be so mad um and then uh. we let him we let him clean a teal and he about, <laughs> after about his his fourth hunt and he not only was he upset but uh he was also i think he was like oh thank god i can be a duck hunter again cuz he didn't know if he could continue doing it after being so abysmal at uh cleaning ducks but <laughs> that's good that's that's funny yeah. um so i so guess don't let anybody fool you into that yeah uh always take the dabblers if you shoot either or take the dabblers let someone else skin the divers <laughs> yeah. yep i agree so back back to duck id well, we mentioned it before canvas back so you know we mentioned the big bill they have they're a large duck um probably i would say at least as big as the mallard if not bigger they i'm not sure if they're the big if bigger than mallards or not i know they're about the same size yeah prob- probably close um but they have a they have a rusty colored head i would call it they'll have red or gold eyes and if they have the bright red eyes it's just really cool to see them with and then you know at the is it a black chest? I'm drawing a blank here. I think yeah, it's a black yeah. chest. Yeah. What, uh, I believe it's white. It's just like it's just like a redhead. Except, yeah. No, uh, the difference the, is the back. Yeah, they have, but they do have the black chest uh, or the breast, and then the back. Yeah. The rest of them is white. Um, right. Right. It goes. Yeah. You know, black white. Yep. Yep. You're right. Um, and so you can. They're they're another rare duck. They they call them actually the king of waterfowl, or at least in North America yeah. they do. They yeah, are, you know, I'm not I'm not too versed in why why that is, but uh, if you look at a you know like literally uh, you know like the the Yeti uh, decal that I have on the back of my truck, that's a canvas back because <laughs> it's got that uh, it looks like a bowling pin. Yeah. Yep. So. But uh, yeah, so. Uh, I guess we could talk about the redhead as well. It looks very similar to the canvasback. The only difference is it might be a little smaller, and it's got a the bill is more regular, like what you would see on a mallard or something. It's more curved, and it can be it'll be blue. It'll yeah, that blue gray. And then I uh, the biggest thing too that I look for at least um, is the white on its back, where the canvasback doesn't have that uh, the white on the the speculum slash back yep yep so um i guess let's see what else do we have here i guess we'll uh, we'll go into ring necks because i'll and we'll you'll see why here in a sec so as ben mentioned ring necks they have a dark purplish head it's purple black that color and then it's got the black shit i, I just i need to make sure it, i'm telling you guys right uh, <laughs> that's okay i think the the ringnecks the most identifying feature on them is their bill it's they yeah. have a beautiful bill it's um the main part of it is gray slash blue but then it's got white and black on it that uh is actually very um it's it's a good looking like it's a good looking european mount if you can figure it out um 
and that's usually what I look for. Uh, it pops out pretty good when you see an all black bird with some uh, flash of white on its side um, and uh, a gray slash white beak. That's generally yep. your your ring neck. So the reason I wanted to segue from the redhead to the ring neck is because the hens of these species are very similar. Very similar. Like you yeah. have to be, I don't know, almost a duck biologist. I mean, I'm exaggerating, <laughs> obviously, but they are very similar, especially from pictures. Like there's such variations in just individual specimens that you could be like, yeah, that is definitely a ring neck and it's a redhead. Um, it, they are very similar and just look, Google it if you don't believe me. Yeah. Like I said, it comes, it all comes down to that beak. The, the, yeah, I, the ringnecks have a very identifying beak, and I think that's the one saving grace that you can uh, come from it. Its beak does not look much like anything else. Yep. So. Moving on, let's talk about scop, or as there are other people, or, or as you know, their more common name, bluebill, and that is pretty pretty obvious because they have a blue bill. It's all entirely blue. It's basically like a mallard bill if you colored it light blue. And there's two kinds of scop out in North America. Those are the lesser scop and the greater scop. Greater scop have kind of a darker green head, whereas the lesser scop drakes will have more of a purple iridescent head, kind of like a ringneck, but without the intricate bill colors. Is um, it okay if you couldn't tell the difference between the two? Because I've I know I've shot like ten scop. I just yeah. don't know if they were lesser or greater. <laughs> yeah, that's not a problem. Um, hen wise, I don't really know too much of the difference on those um but the drakes when they're fully plumed if it's greener if it's more green it's gonna be the greater if it's less uh purplish it's gonna be the lesser and i think there might be a little size difference as well Um, not 100 percent on that but the the main reason the main thing to look for is the blue bill and uh yeah that's about that's about it on those uh Let's see what else here we got. Oh, okay. what we got? Mergansers next. Mergansers, yep. So I've never shot one. I've never even seen one in the flesh. So there's a bunch of different types of mergansers. There's the hooded merganser, which are really cool. They have, I don't know, it's kind of like a mohawk, it's like a fan, like a mohawk, right? Yeah, a mohawk with it's like black head with a little white patch in the mohawk, and then like kind of a tannish breast area. Um, and they're all mergansers. People call them uh, lawn darts because they have they have like sharp bills. They're also called fish ducks. That's their main thing is they eat fish. They have like little. I think I saw a guy when he was ice fishing and caught a merganser this last season. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. They're not the greatest table fare. No, they it's they eat the okay. fish and they they yeah uh, they are not something you want to eat. You can, can you throw it in a uh, like a gumbo or a um, like a chili? Oh yeah, I mean, if you shoot one, by no means just you know, you obviously if you're gonna shoot it, eat it. You better know? eat it. Yeah. No. Um, but yeah, it's it's all how you cook them. It's all how you prepare them. And maybe that would be another good podcast episode down the Actually, line. Actually, yeah. When you yeah, we we've got that one planned. Um, and I want to hear about your your duck sausage or whatever you had said. Okay, well, uh, but yeah, mergansers. A lot of people don't like to eat them. They're, you know, that they they, they they call them fish ducks. They taste fishy. 
They just don't they don't taste the best. It seems like animals that eat other animals, generally speaking, don't taste as good as ones that eat plants or something like that. Um, it you, when you think about it, really. Yeah. Moving on from organzers, though, I mean, there's three different types. There's the red-breasted, the common, and the hooded merganser. There's probably a couple other ones that I'm not familiar with. And they've, they've all got very pointy beaks. Yeah, pointy beaks. That's yep. where the lawn dart nickname comes from. Uh, white speculums. They actually count. They do not count against your duck bag limit. They have a separate bag limit for yeah, mergansers. Yeah, yeah, I did, I did know that, actually. Um, so you can shoot five mergansers, at least in Nebraska, compared to six ducks a day. Um, but that's about all I'm going to cover on mergansers. If you want to know more about them, look them up. Uh, GoldenEye. So GoldenEye, when I mentioned that flight patterns from ducks can make sounds, this is what I was referring to. Uh, the GoldenEye, when they're flying, they can be flying a mile high, and you can hear them from that distance. And it's just like a really distinctive whistling sound. Um, just the way they are built, like aerodynamically built, and it just, whatever, however their flight pattern does, it just makes this really distinctive sound. And you can tell when they're coming towards you. You you shot a bunch of GoldenEye this year, right? Yeah, we, we get uh, quite a few GoldenEye out here being, you know, right next to the big water. So we get some of the, we get the bufflehead, we get the GoldenEye, we get all the divers as well as the dabblers because, I mean, we got the best of both worlds out where I'm at. Um, but, I mean, the, obviously the main distinguishing characteristic in this is the, in the name, it's the GoldenEye. And there's there's actually two types of golden eye that you might encounter in North America. One is the Barrows golden eye, pretty rare. You might encounter it, but it's mainly up in like the West Coast Alaska area. Um, the rest are common golden eye, and the difference between those is the cheek patch. So like the Barrows has a crescent moon cheek patch, similar to a blue winged teal, whereas the common golden eye is just a circle. And they have a turquoise head or turquoise greenish head. And then a white body. The rest of the body's white with some black on it. And they are another beautiful bird. Um, but yeah, the main thing is the golden eye and the uh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> the hey, golden eye and the flight, the flight pattern, the the flight sound they make. Yeah, absolutely. Now, like I said, never seen one except for in your videos. So uh, maybe. Come check that out. I, I'm definitely looking forward to coming out and hunting the sand hills with you this uh, this year. Yeah, hopefully we can get you on some new birds. Uh, you know, cross some off your ducket list as well. Yeah. Well, speaking of ducket list, uh, you want to talk about eiders? <laughs> yeah. This <laughs> these are the top. These are one of my like I've told everybody. If I win the lottery or something and I'm having a bachelor party, I'm taking all my best buddies out. We're going up to Alaska and we're hunting king eider. Oh, dude, that was that Tony Vandemore that video. Yes, that, to kill to kill a king. To kill if you a have king. not if you have not watched a good duck hunting video, no offense, Matt. Uh, <laughs> go ch- go check out to kill a king, uh, Tony Vandemore on YouTube. It's sick. I want to be sitting there with an all black. Uh, like get up, like have my gun blacked out, black face paint, black everything, sitting on these black rocks, uh, shooting at these these uh, you know king eiders coming in off of huge ocean swells, like things. Oh, it's 
Yeah, so these are sea ducks, eiders and scoters. They are sea ducks mainly. Um, I know scoters show up on the Great Lakes, you know, big water areas as well. But the eiders are, they use, like the common eider, they actually used for down for pillows and stuff. And when they, oh, really? Yeah, and they are a tough bird. They, they, you know, how divers are tough to hit and hard to bring down. Yeah. Eiders are even tougher than that. Their their skin is so tight and their feathers are so compacted. I it'd be similar to trying to shoot a turkey with a shotgun, you know, not in the head, so or in the heart. Oh, just like trying to shoot a turkey center mass is basically what you're doing. And you're using lead for turkey. You're using steel for these eiders. Oh and, wait 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 you you don't shoot turkeys in the in the body with a shotgun. I, I don't. I shoot them in the head. Oh man, maybe that's why I'm going five years without ever having killed a turkey. <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just messing with you. No, but I seriously have gone five years without killing a turkey. I'm, I'm historically the worst turkey hunter uh, in North America. Mark my words. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, back to Irons, though. Uh, sorry, I don't mean to. <laughs> yeah. No. Yep. But I think that was the whisk. That was the bourbon talking. You know? <laughs> But no, back to these eiders. Uh, yeah, they are a very – the king eiders are very colorful. They almost look like a clown. Like, they, Yeah, they're white with like a, a, a yellow, like weird-looking beak. Um, yeah. They're, they're, and some, they're, yeah, some black marks on them. And like there's some red in there too, isn't there? Yeah, there's red, yellow, purple. It's, it's really fun. It's really weird-looking, but they are really cool. Really cool bird. Um, there's not a lot of spots to hunt them. Like, you know, to kill a king, that video up in Alaska is about the only place I know of that you can get them in North America. There's also a couple other eiders. There's the common eider. Um, you can get those on the east and west coast. And then there's the spectacle eider, which is pretty rare. And they might even be protected. I don't know if you can shoot those for sure or not. And for some reason, I thought there was another one. But uh, we'll move on from that. Yeah. I was gonna say, does your girlfriend know you're this big of a nerd for uh, duck identification? Uh, she she's learning. She's slowly okay. learning that. I think. Uh, I think we should maybe get you off of this, and let's start talking a little bit back more into like the regulations that'll get you into trouble. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, moving on from uh, duck ID. So uh, there's some rules that you can kind of be lenient with, but also. You don't really want to because they will get you, like Ben just yeah. said, they will get you into trouble. The first one is group hunting. And if you've seen some of our videos, I'm sorry, not shameless plug here, Ben. Uh, no, no, plug away, my friend. Okay, so if you've seen some of our videos, you might hear Devin or myself or someone else we're hunting with will be like, I got that one and I got that one or, you know, we got that. It's not because we're, uh, we're trying – well, I mean, we kind of do. We kind of – be like, how oh, we got. More He's trying to say it's not because they're jerks. Like, oh, hey, that's my bird. That's your bird. Like, because we know that those things can get uh, yeah. tangled up and messy when there's that's a lot of bullets flying in the air. Um, but you have to call these birds out as as yours. Like, uh, yeah, because it, it, go ahead. Sorry. Yep. Sorry. Continue. So it's it's basically called group hunting or party hunting. You can't. So you go out. Say you go out with three guys. You're bird limit is six six ducks a person that means you can shoot 18 ducks as a party but you you're not you're supposed to keep track of whose birds are whose even if you're i mean you're all shooting at these different birds 
you got to at least claim them. Um, yeah, especially like it's. We always do it, you know. Generally, you know, you, the the birds that get picked up in your lane are your birds. So you know, everybody has their specified lanes. You, you know, you pick out your your you know target reference points as they were. You know, I got from this tree to that mountaintop. And you've got from that tree, the same tree, to that hilltop, you know. And the birds that fall in there are those generally your birds. And if you have to switch up the order of shooting, then you switch up the order of shooting. Yep. And so. and another thing, another good thing about, you know, trying to keep track of whose birds are whose is if you happen to shoot an awesome, like a hybrid or a banded bird, there's less less arguments or, you know, less less hurt feelings about that kind of that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I, I never, you know, when it comes down to it, like I know what birds I hit. Uh, you know, I, I never claim a bird that I don't hit in. It might sound cocky or whatever it is, but uh, wouldn't you say, Matt, you know, like yeah. the guy that argues with you like that. Oh, you know, Oh no, I shot that bird. You look at him and be like, yeah, we probably both had. If you really vehemently think that you shot that bird when I know that I shot that bird, yeah, you know, we might have, uh, you know, we might have tag teamed her. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's not really that big a deal unless, it, you know, you have that one that really you want to get mounted or has a band on it or something. But you just right. keep track of your own birds. You'll save you a lot of issues in the future. And that's yeah. that's in the law as well. So, yeah, uh, exactly. Because uh, you have to. When he says that, okay, you can't just throw all your birds in in one pile. <laughs> you, my birds have to be at my feet, or at least what we do uh, when I go hunting is when the birds get back to the blind. Everybody has their own color corded zip tie. Um, oh, okay. And so, like, I'm a red zip tie. Um, you know. The guy to my left might be a green, got a white, got a black, and got blue zip ties, and then there's purple zip ties too. And so we just throw them all in one bucket, but before they go in that bucket, they get uh, zip tied uh, on the leg. So that way everybody knows who shot who. And that's just another form of marking, and uh, I know the game wardens always appreciate that. And I know I've had a lot more run-ins with the game wardens, not run-ins, but um, where I've hunted in the past along the Rio Grande, I've had a lot more exposure to being checked by a game warden literally every time I come out of the field. So, no, that's 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 a good thing too. Um, you know, there's a lot of people they hate seeing game wardens. I I like seeing them. I that means they're so out there. Yep. Yeah, they're out there doing their job. They're enforcing the rules. And because if you're playing by the rules, but other people aren't, how's that fair to anyone? And it's not fair yeah. to the species you're going after. And it's you know I, I can go on and on about that. And I don't want to get into that. But yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I thoroughly enjoy hunting with over game wardens and, um, I know a lot of other people maybe don't, but, um, man, it's, it, it is also super fun to show a game warden, like my legal harvest. And then like, Hey, you want to check, uh, you want to check my plug? You can only fit, uh, you can only fit two shotgun uh, shells up in there. And then they're like, Oh yeah. Do I even need to check? And you're like, no, you don't need to check. And then, uh, like them just like looking at your birds and like telling you like, Oh, I think this bird is three years old. Uh, you know, things like that. Yeah. It, it yep. is super fun. So I, uh, I kind of, that's a good transition into, I wanted to talk real quick about, I think it can get super intimidating when it comes to identifying birds. And I think it is probably the hardest thing to do, um, in waterfowl hunting 
I mean, you can get birds to decoy. You can buy all the things you need to. You can learn how to shoot. Those all come super easy. You can buy those things or you can like, you know, listen to a podcast and learn how to do some of those things. But you cannot listen to a podcast and learn how to identify um, waterfowl. And you cannot do that without practice, I don't think. People can tell you all, hey, you can watch all the videos you want. And I think it is the biggest travesty with waterfowl hunters, um, you know, especially on the Facebook groups. Um, you know, people always saying like, hey, if you don't know specifically what that bird was, like you cannot shoot. And I, it's true to an extent. You know, we talked about that earlier. Um, yes, you should know what you're shooting at. However, that is a huge, huge hurdle. Um, I know that for myself, it was not that long ago that I was cutting my teeth on waterfowl and learning this lesson. Like, I, you know, I don't specifically know how to identify waterfowl, but I want to go out there and I want to hunt them. Um, and... So I adapted this the, the following rules to to help myself with that, and uh, so I looked at the most um, stringent limitation, and you know that would be like pintails, you know, because what last season how many pintails could we shoot? Was it one? One. Yep. Yeah. All right. So imagine you're a new hunter. Um, you go out and. First of all, the the barrier to entry for this is you need to know what a duck like looks like and flaps like and sounds like. Like you need to be able to tell a duck from an egret or uh, a shorebird or anything like that. Yep. So, and, and I've caught some flack for this. Uh, I've posted this in several um, Facebook uh, groups that I'm in, but um, you need to know what a duck is. After that, uh, I would suggest that don't even try teal season uh, if you don't have a mentor. But if you're going out for the first time, you've never hunted a duck, you don't have a mentor, you don't have anybody to show you, do all the research you can and then know the most uh, restrictive limit. So the most restrictive limit this year was pintails. You could only shoot one. So you have a group of ducks that come in. They come into your spread. You know it's legal shooting time. You know that these are definitely ducks coming into your spread. You shoot once. And you shoot once because you know that you can only legally take one pintail. And you can't tell what kind of – specifically what kind of duck you, you just shot. So you go wait out there. You have the bird in hand. You identify, oh, hey, it's not a pintail. Sweet. Actually, I have – because of the you know the book that I have – I've determined that this is a male mallard. Cool. That goes in my bag. Well, guess what? Until you can learn how to identify the ducks that are not pintails, you only get to shoot at one duck or you only get to kill one duck that comes in. You know what I mean? Um, now, next year, you'll have a little bit different. You can shoot twice, you know, since the pintail limit's going up to two. Um, but basically, just always looking at the most restrictive limit, and then you're still out there hunting. You still get to shoot some ducks, bring some some meat home, and then you get to learn what these birds look like um, as they're coming into your face without just having to completely sit out the entire you know season. And I think it gets lost on a lot of uh, 
senior waterfowlers that have been in the game for, you know, 10 years to 30 years. They don't, they don't remember what it was like, um, to maybe, you know, when they were little kids to not know the difference or to not be able to pick those things out. And they've never, you know, been there. They've never been a 25 year old male, you know, 25 year old guy trying to break into duck hunting. It's kind of, you know, frustrating to sit out there and say, I'm not sure what that bird is. I can't, you know, like, dang it. These things move fast. Dang it. You know, I want to be able to hunt still, you know, I still want to be able to bring some meat home. Um, I know I catch a little bit of flack for that, but I think that's a, uh, a good way to do it. And I've never broken the law with, um, a limit. I've never broken the law with my, you know, harvesting techniques. And that's how I learned. Cause I didn't have a mentor other than a few text messages to you and Tony when I was learning, <laughs> you know, five years ago. And so that's kind of my, my way, you know, my, my little preach to the, to the new guys out there. So. Yep. That's, that's, uh, that's actually really good. Um, good way. I guess, you know, if that, that, what, that would be a great way if you don't have a mentor. Um, that being said, try really hard to find a mentor because they will help you with tips like that. You know, they'll give you useful, more useful tips and, um, they might have all the stuff you need. Like they might be like, yeah, just grab some waders or, and meet us out there. We have the decoys, boat, whatever. Um, and we can, that, that's a whole nother topic as well. Um, I guess getting back to regulations that can get you in trouble. Um, which ones do you want to talk about now? Yeah. Should we talk about, Hey, sign your dang stamp, (laughs) sign your waterfowl stamp. If you don't sign it, it's not valid. You can get a ticket. Yep. That's true. And a lot of game wardens are pretty lenient on that. Like, you know, I don't, I don't really want to admit to any wrongdoing here, but on my duck stamp, I like keeping the stamps after the season and I don't like, you know, my ugly signature sitting on the stamp. So I'll sign right below it. And I sign very small. Uh, that, that, that would work too. So, um, should we talk about the daily possessions versus, uh, or daily limits versus possession limits? Yep. So you mentioned, or you, you've heard me talk about bag limits a little bit throughout here. And what I'm referring to as your daily bag limit of birds. Um, generally speaking, it's six ducks, mainly across the whole United States. Uh, there's other places, I think it's seven. And it varies state from state. And even other countries don't have bag limits like Mexico. Uh, but we're talking America here. So. Nebraska on a Nebraska-wise, so you have your daily bag limit of ducks, which is six, and from those it breaks out the species, and even it can break down the sex of the species. So, for instance, you can shoot six ducks in Nebraska, five of which can be mallards, but no more of no more than two of those can be hen mallards. So you can shoot five drake right. mallards, no problem. If you shoot more than two hen mallards, you got you got a problem. Um, yep. Yeah, and, and it, it varies state to state. So the, the main regulation species-wise comes down from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and then the states can add additional regulations onto those as they see fit. Uh, many states just go kind of with the basic ones. It, it, it really just depends. And then in, in that, um, going from daily bag limits to possession limits, possession limits just means the number of ducks 
or birds or game that you can have um, within your possession, like your freezer or something. So you can shoot six a day. In Nebraska, it's three times your daily bag, so you can have 18 ducks in your freezer and not be in trouble. We try to eat them up as quickly as we can, you know, go through them. We'll save a few, make that duck sausage like I was saying, but uh, we'll grill them up or we'll make whatever with them, jerky and stuff. So, yeah. Well, we've been going at it for about an hour and a half now, and um, I think that maybe we'll just quick rapid fire through some of the the last points here and get everybody on their way. Um, Can't shoot from a moving vehicle. Yep. uh, Whether that is a boat or a truck. Um, (laughs) Turn the motor off, furl the sail, or uh, shut the... uh, Shut the truck off and go ahead and get outside of that because you can't shoot you know you can't shoot off roads or out of out of vehicles. Um, can't use live birds as decoys, yep. like they used to back in the old days, which is a pretty interesting note. They used to duck hunters used to raise mallards or whole flocks of mallards that they would put out and had them trained where they would just whistle and they'd go out to the pond and then they'd whistle again and they'd head back on up to the duck club. Um, Obviously, we know to not use non-toxic uh, shot or to use non-toxic shot such as steel or tungsten. Um, what else we got? Uh, don't – you can't shoot ducks with anything other than – or you can't shoot ducks with like a rifle, pistol. Oh, yep. Shotgun larger than a 10-gauge, punt gun, battery gun, machine gun, fish hook, poison, drug, explosives, stupefying substances, nets, traps, snares. You can't basically use a shotgun or archery equipment for ducks. I was going to say, um, Matt, I was going to tell you, I'm going to try to get some archery geese uh, this year for HPS. Awesome. Since there's a property that is just rich with waterfowl, but I'm only allowed to to hunt uh, archery on it. So it's going to be my, you know, my turkey slash deer slash maybe try to shoot a couple uh, geese off the bow. That would be the, cool. Bow. Yeah. We'll see. I'm also a terrible shot, so. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, oh, <laughs> I only bring this up because um, you can do it during snow goose season, and I had some buddies that they didn't know how to call birds, and they uh, were going out for the you know second or third time all by themselves. They said, dude, can we just bring uh, my, my speaker and play duck noises instead of having to call? You, you cannot use electronically amplified bird calls or sounds to nope. bring birds in unless you're during the, the snow goose conservation season. Speaking of the snow goose conservation season, another thing that is special just to that is you can hunt a, with a shotgun that has more than – that can hold more than three shells um, – during regular waterfowl season, you can only have three shells in your gun. So you have to have, a, have your gun plugged so it can only hold three of those. During the sh- uh, Snow Goose Conservation Act, you can have a barrel extension – or not barrel extension. Uh, what am I looking Magazine for? Magazine extension. Magazine extension, yep. And you can have eight or nine shells or whatever they hold nowadays. True. And But other – regular waterfowl season – only three shells, and you have to have a plug yeah, in your and gun. That, that's that's one that's like in the chamber, ready to shoot, and then two in the magazine. If you can fit a, a third one up in your magazine, you are a no-go. Yep. So. And I think that about wraps it up for uh, yeah. regulations, licenses, and bird ID. Yeah. The Hey, thanks for coming on, man. No problem. Always, a, always fun time doing these. 
looking forward to doing, do some more in the future. Perfect, man. All right, let's go ahead and uh, get to the second glass of whiskey and uh, head on to bed. Sounds like a plan. All right. Later, brother. Later. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great, great grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands. Uh, We also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on iTunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it. And we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content. And if you get in on that Facebook group, you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next or you can tell us uh, what you don't like. And we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners. So, all right. Stay safe out there and we will see you next week. Head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.